In today's episode, Tanner Chittister reveals the three top strategies for building your business into an eight-figure company and beyond. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the Do Zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. I trained four years to run nine seconds, and people give up when they don't see results in two months. Usain Bolt. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas. Glad to have you. To make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Also, if you're looking to better understand how you get stuff done, head over to dozonedna.com and take our personality profile assessment built specifically for busy entrepreneurs. It'll show you how to build your world around you for optimal performance. Once again, that's dozonedna.com. Today's guest, you're in for a really special treat, Tanner Chittister. Founder and CEO of Elite CEOs, Tanner Chittister has generated close to $50 million in sales in the online coaching world. After discovering powerful, repeatable strategies, which he used to create his first million in a B2C fitness model, Tanner's success went on to disrupt the coaching industry forever. Tanner, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Yeah, Josh, thanks for having me, man. I'm super excited to be here. Hello, everyone. The The number one thing I found was just getting up and starting your tasks. I had a time in my life where I would get up and I would meditate for an hour and I would read and I would like listen to audiobooks and And that's not bad things to do. But by the time I would finish, you know, I'm three hours in. And so the number one hack for me was just going from waking up and kind of doing all these kind of pre-rituals and just diving right into the work. Um, and that's like, that's so wonders for me because I can get so much work done in the early hours of the morning that I feel, you know, most people can't get done the eight hour day. You know, it's fascinating. I, I hear so many people starting to talk about the power of getting up early. I've never, ever been a morning person. It's just like, no, dude, I really like, uh, I'm a salsa dancer. And so it's like, man, salsa socials don't start till like 11. Right. And, uh, but recently I realized I'm a, I'm a busy dude. I'm focused. I'm building stuff. I can't be getting up at like eight 30 in the morning because the day's halfway over. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. made the shift and then I realized like, wow, there's an extra two hours. I had no idea I had, what do I do? What do I fill that with? Why don't I write? Why don't I read? Why don't I do this stuff? Can you, do you have any tips for maybe somebody that, that hasn't, hasn't drank the Kool-Aid yet of, of getting up early right. and, and getting that bonus time? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, first in, you know, people's defense who wake up late, I mean, I, there, you, you, you don't have to wake up early. I mean, you, there's definitely people who they don't and they can get away with it and, you know, they, they still do amazing things. They're super successful. But the thing I like about the morning and the reason that I'm motivated to do it is because that's the one time of the day that I find is, you know, my own and no one's like blowing up my phone or messaging me, et cetera. And, you know, with that being said, you can turn your phone over 
you know, shut your Slack channel down, et cetera. But I just find it's a lot more easy for me to focus when I know for a fact, like no one else is up, everyone else is asleep, no one's bothering me. And I could just focus on the biggest tasks. Um, and so I, I don't know if there's a hack other than like set your bedtime. I don't think you need to necessarily set your like wake up time. But I think, you know, for me, I need about seven hours of sleep to feel my best. I can run off six, but I need about seven. And so for me, if I'm trying to wake up at, you know, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., that tells me when I need to set my alarm to go to bed. And that that seems to work a lot better for me than like forcing myself to wake up at a certain time off, you know, a lack of sleep. Because, you know, if you start not sleeping, what ends up happening is the work that you would have done. It's not as productive anyways. So really, I think I would just tell people set a alarm before you go to or like your time to go to bed versus like waking up. Um, and then I usually will just sleep until I wake up and then I feel like super refreshed and I get as much rest as my body needs. And then I kind of attack my day. Nice. Yeah. And then you're ready to go. So <laughs> I, I, I see, I see an awful lot of, uh, two comma awards there behind you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know you got your, uh, I know you got your start in fitness and, uh, the majority of our audience are entrepreneurs. Um, some of them are trying to get their first break. Uh, some of them are doing one, two, $5 million businesses, and they're trying to, you know, add a zero, uh, take us back just for educational purposes to that very first hustle. How did, how did you get into this? How did you get that, that first business off the ground? What, what were some of the, you know, highs and lows of that experience? Yeah. So a lot of lows before any highs. Uh, what? what? It, Come on. <laughs> quite, actually, there was a, there's quite a few. So I got. My whole start in the business was I, you know, wanted to be an NFL football player. So from about 12 to 22, that was my life. I trained for 10 years, you know, multiple hours a day, you know, that's all I did. And around 22 is when it kind of ended for me. It was a mixture between injury and then probably I wasn't good enough either way, or I just would have been, you know, I might made the NFL, but I wasn't going to be a top draft player. So when that ended, I remember going home and I sat down and had lunch with a family friend of my dad's and he actually is related to Russell Brunson's uh, cousin. He's married to her. And so that he kind of, you know, Hey, why are you going to school? And I was like, you know, I just want to get paid a lot. And he's like, man, you can make a lot more money not going to school. So he convinced me to drop out. Uh, and he taught me how to build funnels, what email lists were. I didn't know what opt-in pages were. It was completely foreign to me. Um, and over the next two years, I basically worked in his home office and helped build out, not in two years, maybe like a year. Uh, he helped me build out a product A to Z, a low ticket product. And when I went to sell it, I couldn't sell it. You know, I didn't have a big following and I didn't have any money for ads. So I moved up to Utah just to kind of get out of my hometown because that's where I was. And I was really struggling. I was a server at all garden for about, you know, half the day. And then I would go and work on my business. And I didn't know what I, the hell I was doing. Like I had no clue how to sell it. I thought people would just buy it. And I, I kind of went on that for almost two years where I made about 2000 bucks and it was nothing. Uh, two, I sold 2000 bucks in two years. Yeah. Like total, like thousand dollars, a thousand dollars a year, $800 yeah. a month. Okay. Yeah. So I was averaging like $80 a month. <laughs> Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, it was nothing. And um, so then in Utah, they they do a lot of security sales. And so they sold me on the dream like, hey, man, you know, you can make, you know, six figures in three months doing door to door sales. And I was like, OK, well, my business isn't working. So if I had money, it would work. 
You know, that's the, that's the lie I told myself at least. So I go do door to door mm -hmm. sales for about seven months and I don't make anywhere near what they said. I probably made, you know, 50, 60 G's and I was one of the top reps and uh, I'm starting to like getting towards the end of the summer. I'm like, man, if I don't figure it out this year, I'm going to go back to school because I'm about to turn 25. And for whatever reason, 25 just sounded so old to me. I, it's not, but I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm getting older. And uh, I saw an ad on Facebook, um, similar to probably what some people might have seen in me. And it was like, you know, how to build an online fitness business. And I was like, perfect. Like I've done fitness my whole life. Like I'll try it. So I click on it, go through the process, get on a call. Uh, no idea what high ticket sales were. Sold me like I was sweating and all that kind of stuff. I put a two grand down. That's like all I had about $2,500 my bank account. And I did three grand on a credit card. Got in the program. Uh, they basically just said, hey, raise your prices, right? That was the biggest thing. And I started messaging people on my Instagram and I made like $10,000 in a week. I was selling like $2,500 program. Let, and then let's, let's break that down for a minute because yeah, that's, that's a, that's a major turning point for a lot of people. It's like, well, yeah. man, I can't make any more money. I can't sell this thing. Nobody wants it. Sure. Well, just charge more money. All of a sudden people want it and you make money. It's like the weirdest, it's like the most cognitive dissonance that can be created. So yeah. tell me like uh, to the extent, I mean, you've, you've got so much experience on this now, yeah. but that shift from you couldn't sell your one thing, $2,000 over two years. And then boom, you got 10,000 bucks because you raised your prices. Yeah. What happens there psychologically? Why is that so much more significant? Well, I think the first thing is I thought that people would just click a link on my bio and that's how people got rich. I didn't even know people did phone sales. I was like, so I got to post my link and they have to buy it. So, you know, it sounds so stupid now, but that's just how I thought it worked. And my mentor had sold low ticket products. And so that's what he knew. And so that's what he told me. And so it's funny, but there's a saying that what, you know, the only things we don't question are the things we believe, right? And so when you believe that something, this is how things are, you don't think to question it. And so I got in that program. They're like, yeah, you, so you raise your price and get them on a call. I was like, oh, okay. So get them on a call. Cool. And I just done door to door sales for, you know, six, seven months. So this was easy because they wanted it. And so I just got on the phone. I went through my process and I pitched them and they're like, yeah, I was like, okay, like, yeah, let me process this. And I just process it. So it, it was more you know, phone sales, there's more trust. So there was that, but then it was just also, someone told me I could raise my prices. I thought because everyone else was doing it, that that's what you sold your prices at. It's like, oh, that's 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, yeah, like you need to just sell three people out of a hundred instead of 80. <laughs> and so it, it was all those things combined, but yeah, it, it was, it was such a simple tweak, but I didn't even know that's how you did it. And then when I figured it out, I was like, wow, you know, it was actually frustrating because I was a little bit elated but I was actually upset because I was that close for two years and I felt like I'd just wasted two years of my life. Um, so I was actually more upset than excited if I'm being honest, but. So it was kind of like, well, duh, why didn't I just do that years ago? Yeah. You know, hindsight's 2020 20 and, exactly. you know, it, and, and that's a really important point that, that you're, that you're dissecting here because I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs uh, in all directions, smart guys, successful guys that are making decent incomes. And even them, they still struggle. A lot of them still struggle with 
ah, you know, I'm going to put out my course for 200 bucks. Uh, you know, I'm going to do some private one-on-one coaching and I'm going to, you know, meet him once a week and I'll charge him 2000 bucks a month, which comes out to about $500 an hour. Yeah. And, and, uh, these are smart guys and their value is through the roof, but they're charging uh, peanuts. And, and so it's such a difficult hurdle for somebody to overcome and, and charging what they're truly worth. And do you think that comes from just an insecurity? Like, I'm not sure if I'm worth that. I'm not, I'm not sure if people are willing to pay that. Where do you think that really comes from? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was more, I didn't think people would pay that. And once I knew people would pay that, I was like, well, why wouldn't I charge the amount of money that I want to make to get the life that I want? Hmm. So it's interesting to me that people will struggle to sell something at a price that will get them to where they want to go. Because I I realized I was like, for me to get to 10,000 a month, which was my first goal is I just need to sell like four or five of these. And so if people are willing to pay the price, that alone tells you that they think it's valuable enough because they spent their money. That's how you vote. And so to me, as long as you're trying to do the right thing and you're giving a good service, what you charge is highly dependent up to you. The market decides. And so I think it's interesting. People will say, well, I feel bad charging that much, et cetera. It's like, why? If they're willing to pay it and you're going to do a good job, right? Are you going to be a good person? You shouldn't. And my experience is today, we've had probably 2,500 plus high ticket clients now. And that doesn't include like, we've probably had like 13, 12 or 13,000 low ticket clients. You know, so these are people who have all spent at least 16 grand typically. It, like the people who usually for me, like after we've gone through it, that don't do well, they don't do it. And we're able to track it. Like we're able to track like if they've gone through the portals, if they've sent X amount of messages if they've had X amount of calls. And so it's just like working out where to me, when I started in fitness, if the client chooses not to listen to me, I personally, at least for me, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel bad because like, what else can I do? Like it's, it's not, I can't do it for them. And so what happens typically though, with higher price things is people are more willing to listen because it hurts. And so people will say, well, oh, they'll listen if it's cheaper. I'm like, no, they won't. They'll care less because it's cheaper. They don't give a shit. Like, excuse my language, they don't give a shit. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. And so I think the irony is that by charging more, not only are you going to get to where you want, so you feel good about delivering the service, but people are more willing to listen to you. So I think it's counterintuitive to think charging less is better because people don't listen. They don't take it as seriously. And then you feel resentful because you're not getting paid what you want to get paid. That's yeah. how I Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And so uh, you were able to uh, create a successful business in the fitness industry. And then that has transitioned kind of you've, I wouldn't say you've outgrown that, but you've, you've kind of leveraged that into a higher level opportunity. And uh, I can, I'm happy to hear you talk all about that in just a minute. But what, what I'm curious about now though, is once you got to that that first threshold of, of success, you hit your 10 K month goal and you probably exceeded that. Uh, did you just get to this point to where like, okay, I feel like this is not enough. I feel like I have more to offer the world. What, what launched you into kind of bigger and bigger and bigger? Uh, I think the first thing is I was terrified I was going to lose it. So I didn't think it was sustainable. I was messaging and doing all kinds of organic strategies, which is fine, but I I knew it wasn't sustainable or I felt it wasn't. I felt like 
I'm working so much. Like, I don't want to do this forever. In terms of the bigger opportunities, it's just when you start finding success, people ask you for help. And so I hated business coaches. It's ironic that I became one because I actually loathe business coaches. I, I like went through programs and I felt like they were so under vastly delivering. And part of that was probably ego. Part of that was probably maturity. You know, part of that was probably there was truth to it. Um, but people just saw my success and they're like, hey, dude, especially trainers, because trainers are broke, you know, like, and yeah. they were like, hey, man, like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm busy. And they're like, dude, please help me. I'm like, nah. And then eventually I had like a list of 10 to 15 people who were like, dude, I'll pay you, you know, $10,000 plus if you just help me. And I was like, what? And they're like, I was like, so as a young guy who's broke, it's hard to turn down that amount of money. And so that's how it started. It was just the fact that people were coming and asking me for help. I'd had a lot of success. Um, and that was after I really learned ads, you know, once I could really get consistent leads with that. So that, that's how it started. I, I had no intention of ever being a business coach by any means. And, and so you've, you've kind of hit another, uh, another threshold that, that a lot of entrepreneurs have, have trouble crossing. So there's the pricing barrier. And then there's the investing back into my business specifically for advertising. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys, especially in fitness, me being a, a male in his early forties, uh, you know, I can, I can smell a fitness bro hitting my DMS from like, a <laughs> you know, it's like some, some big old greased up muscle dude. And he's like, hey man, how's it going? You keeping busy there with your, with your uh, ABC business? Like, yeah, man, everything's fine. Man, how do you find time to keep fit? You know, get in the gym, you know, like, oh God, another fitness bro. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those like who is teaching those guys is uh, it you tanner if it's you i'm i got a bone to pick yeah, I, hope, I sure i sure hope not I'll be <laughs> a lot more smooth than that <laughs> right but but that's like what these guys are doing like they're all taking some other training that's not yours that's saying you got to hit them up in the dms and be like hey bro you got to work with me because i'll make sure that you can get shredded by eating mashed potatoes every day yeah. Right. The, the, the issue, the issue with like most trainers is like, they're very good at what they do. They just have no concept of sales and marketing. And right. it's hard for them to understand because they think that if they're very good at what they do, that people will pay them. And it has nothing to do with it. Unfortunately, it's all the perception. And so these guys don't want to put any time into learning business acumen. They just want to put all their time into lifting weights and, you know, taking another, health tests or getting another certification. And I just tell them, guys, it doesn't matter. Like they don't care. All they care about is like their goal. And you have to be able to talk to them in a way that persuades them. So it, it's, it's easy. It's easy for the trainers who learn it because the ones who don't, they beat them every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've had various trainers in my life. Uh, I haven't been like a super, super fitness guy, but uh, you know, I, I decided I, I wanted at some point in my life, I realized I no longer wanted to be like a hairy marshmallow. And, <laughs> and, and so I'm like, you know, maybe I should do something about this. And so I work with trainers and, and I can, of all the trainers I've ever had, I've never like checked their credentials, you know, like, I don't care where they studied, if they have degrees or, or licenses and like, dude, do you, do you feel me? Do you see and hear my my situation. Yes, I got you. I've heard this before. I know how to navigate you through this. Here's the plan that's specifically for you. All right, dude, take my money. 
I'm like the easiest sell ever. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's so much in business as sales and marketing. I mean, the product does matter to a degree, but to get someone to buy, they don't know if you have a good product. And that's what I tell people. I say, guys, you can have the world's worst product. They don't know until after they buy. And so to get someone to buy, it has nothing to do with the product until they're convinced that you can help them. So I agree with you hundred percent. It's like, that is something that, that needs to be the focus for a lot of the business owners because that's what they lack. Yeah. And uh, so as far as that, that kind of that marketing, that, that switch to where you're like, you know what, I believe that I can help people and I'm willing to put down money to get eyeballs. Yeah. That's another big hurdle that a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble overcoming. Uh, What was it for you when you just said, look, I'm going to pay Facebook or Google or YouTube or whatever. And then to bring me those eyeballs, because I know I can convert them. That's a, big hurdle for a lot of people. Yeah. I think there just comes a point in everyone's life where they have to decide who they want to be. And I realized that it was either I was going to keep messaging people 16 hours a day and get arthritis in my fingers, which actually happened, or I'd have to figure out paid traffic. So I didn't have to constantly look for leads. And so I was willing to be homeless versus continue to stay where I was. And, And I just think that's the point everyone has to come to, because when people stay indecisive, they're basically saying that they're more comfortable staying where they're at than worth risking, you know, moving ahead. So for me, it was just as simple as that. I realized that the next step for me was paid traffic. And so I was willing to do anything I had to do and test anything I had to test to figure it out because I knew that if other people could do it, I could too. And so it was just a logical conclusion that hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is the only way forward. So I have no option but to move forward. And I just, I've just always been that way. Um, I, I should say I've always been that way, but there came that point in my life when I was about to turn 25, when it really just hit me in the face. And it's like, dude, you're running out of time. Your clock's ticking and you've tried it your way and it hasn't worked. So what do you have to lose? And that just, that just feeling has always stayed with me. And it's so interesting. There's a book called Who Moved My Cheese? I don't know if you've read it. I know. And it's, it's it's the best book because it goes through and the whole it, the book is so entertaining and that at the very end he's like this is how stupid humans look when they won't move forward because the in the book for anyone who hasn't read it who's listening these mice are starving to death and two of the mice are so you know they they stay and the mice who leave says guys we're going to die so what what do we have to lose to leave and they're like well what if we don't find more food he's like well if we don't leave we're going to die anyway so what does it matter and I think that's how humans need to view their goals and business and relationships. It's like the worst thing that can happen is like exactly what's happening right now. It can't get any worse. You can always get another job. You can always go make more money, but there's a lot less risk than people perceive. And I think that's, I, I don't know if there's any way to get there except hit rock bottom or get close to it. Because for me, like rock bottom was like being 25, still not making any money being laughed at. And I just was done with it. And I decided I was going to figure it out. Man. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I, it's been a long time since I've uh, even heard about that book, but it's it's like if, if anybody's ever taken a sales call, uh, then that's the situation that you're in. Well, I don't know, man, let me think about this, but yeah, while you're thinking about it, your world around you is getting smaller and your resources are getting thinner. Yeah. And that's, and that's very hard for us to see sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and 
And like, and, and just making decisions doesn't take any time. It takes information. And so all people do is delay making the decision that they should have already made. And so like, it's ironic, but we do, we all do this is like, you know, the girl you're dating that you're thinking about breaking up with or whatever, like people will just delay and delay and delay because they fear the pain more than just staying exactly where they are. So anyways, I love that book. Um, thanks for letting me bring it up. <laughs> yeah, man. Anytime. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, fascinating dude here, Tanner. It's is, uh, what, what I'd love to do is, uh, get, get behind those, those shiny locks and crack your noggin open, do a little do zone diagnostic on your brain there. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So just five quick questions here. I ask every guest rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind. Number one, what's one thing you do that keeps you focused on your goals? Write them down and I keep them right in front of my face. Nice. And uh, how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? It's a good question. I think I think it's just the constant reminder. I don't really lose focus because it's constantly in front of my face. So like wherever you sleep or wherever you work, put the goals in front of your face because you're constantly reminded and then your mind will go to those things. I don't I don't feel like I lose focus, to be honest with you. Nice. And who's your support group, Tanner, and how do they keep you accountable? I'd say my team and my my close entrepreneur friends. Um, and what, what we do is we set OKRs, we set goals for each month and everyone can see everyone's goals. And so it's kind of peer pressure from the group to make sure everyone's staying accountable is on track. And if someone isn't, everyone will be like, Hey, you're not on track on your goals. What's going on? So it kind of is a team evaluation system. Nice. I great. Got it. And, uh, how do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? I try to reverse engineer it and I'll try to reverse engineer into smaller blocks. It becomes a lot more manageable if I, and if I don't know how, then that's when I'll go look for outside sources or consultants to come in and kind of fill in those missing pieces, but take a big goal, break it down into smaller parts. It becomes a lot less overwhelming. It's like my first step. Awesome. Last question. What's the number one pro tip you'd give to somebody looking to get more stuff done in less time? Write everything down. I know it sounds simple, but by waking up, you're you're so distracted by all the social media and things around you. So write everything down that you need to get done for the month, for the week, for the day, and just go through that and cross it off as you go. And, I, and you'll find that you will get stuff done so much faster. And then maybe a bonus tip on top of that is set a time limit, right? If you can only work for six hours, you'll probably get it done in six hours versus giving yourself eight. It's just human nature. When you have deadlines, you'll move faster. You'll stay more on pace. So those will be probably the two tips on that. You know, there's been some uh, scientific studies done uh, on that very topic where uh, I I tried to, I found this one time and then I tried to go find it again to reference it. And then it like vanished. So trust me, <laughs> it exists, I promise. But uh, what it basically said was if uh, you, you give somebody a task uh, and you give them a week to do the task, they will take all week. If mm -hmm. you give them one task for the day, they'll take all day to do the task. And you can give them two tasks, it'll take them all day to do two tasks. And they were able to actually test this all the way up to 11. And the breakage started to happen around seven tasks. 
So you can, so human beings in general can perform about seven tasks in a day when, when they're given a list of seven tasks, they got it. Once they get like eight, nine or 10, it's like, it's, they're like, nah, I can do about six or seven, man. Um, But it was, but it was interesting when they, they just kind of found that breakage point to say, actually, you can do about seven things in a day, as long as you tell yourself, you got to get these things done. And that was pretty fascinating. And, And it goes along the lines of, of what you're saying there. If you give yourself an hour to do something, you're going to finish that bastard in an hour. If you give yourself a month, it's going to take you 29 and a half days to do it. Yeah. And, it's, and it's true. And, and it's ironic because when I was actually playing college football, I was playing college football, division one football, 18 hours of credits. And I had like, I think I finished with the 3.9 GPA. And then the next semester, my first one without football, I took like 12 credits and I had a lower GPA that semester than I did when I played football. And I had less work and I had less distractions. And it's just what you said, because you just put it off, you put it off, you put it off. You're like, I'll do it later. And with football, I had no time. I just, it was like, I have to do it now. I have to do it now. I practice at this, like, and it's ironic, but it pushed me mentally, but I got more stuff done. I was way more efficient. All right. So Tanner, let's talk about elite CEOs. Uh, this is, this is kind of the, uh, Kind of the next level you were you were starting, you had people coming to you and say, hey, look, I'm going to pay you for help. And that launched you into a next opportunity and the next one and into what you're doing now. Tell me a little bit about how you got there. Yeah. So uh, I started you know, in the fitness business and that did like a million dollars in a year. Then the training, the trainers started coming over. That did like a million dollars in three months. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. And then uh, after that, you know, people were like, Hey, can you show me the same stuff? I'm not a trainer, but I have a business. And so it just kind of progressed naturally. It wasn't like something I looked for. Um, but that's really how elite CEOs was kind of born. And, you know, now it's leveraged me into new opportunities of like owning portfolio companies and just stepping into an advisory role. But yeah, that's how it started. And I, I never, like, I never planned on it. That's the irony. It just kind of <laughs> happened and fell in my lap. Um, and I think that's what happens though, when you become successful or you start having some success, like new opportunities show up on your doorstep. And I think the the th- smart thing, and as I've learned over time, is you need to stop saying yes to everything. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it made a lot of sense because I just kept, you know, building blocks on top of the blocks that I already built. And so that's kind of how this thing uh, grew. And so it's fascinating that uh, we we go through these phases. Uh, you said at the beginning here, you had to get a job at Olive Garden. Yeah. And, uh, and then somebody said, well, you need to be selling security. And you're like, okay. And yeah. you did that. And then, uh, and then somebody showed you how to, how to make a living selling your fitness training. And then, and then the next opportunity and the next opportunity to the point now where, uh, you know, I've been following you on social media and where your focus is now, it seems is not in putting in so many hours, but in how can I really leverage my influence for maximum impact? And being on those boards and advising other companies and other people, not necessarily getting elbow deep and fixing somebody's business because you've got people to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of some next level stuff. And that's where we're all aspiring to be. Tell me more about what you're, what's really got your passion there now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been helpful for me because a couple of my close friends, um, they're, they're going through this at the moment. And so it was like, I was able to see them go through those phases that I am now where they built a company 
And then they moved into like business coaching type deal or leveraging that and then selling uh, the information as a license and now almost being a portfolio owner. And the reason for that is just to get to the next level to continue to increase my financial wealth and just grow is I cannot be in the day to day. Like I, I have to have a bigger opportunity. And so the bigger opportunity based on this skill set is to own or have equity in other companies that have similar products or similar services that I can tell them what to do that will move the levers exponentially, but they execute the work. And um, there's going to be other things I do that are, I think, even bigger, but it doesn't make sense for me anymore to be the owner or the CEO, I should say, of the company and make 40% profit when I could just be the advisor and make 20 to 25% profit, but I have more leverage to do other things that will then make me more money. And so that's just the name of the game at a certain point is once you amass a certain level of skills is yes, keep learning skills, but you need to create leverage by using those skills and allowing other people to do the work. And it took me, it took me a few years to figure that out because when you only have one business, you're so scared to give up equity. You're so scared to give up control. And so I think, I wish I had, you know, I won't say it's for most people watching this so or listening to this, excuse me. So take this with a grain of salt, but I wish I had started my other portfolio company sooner because as soon as I did, I realized I was like, well, shoot, like I'm barely doing anything here and I'm collecting a check. All I'm doing is advising. Oh my gosh, this is the next thing. Like this makes way more sense because I'm not in these day-to-day -day activities running the whole business. And so it's just creating that leverage that allows you to exponentially grow your income because you're not having to, you're, you're able to do more than one thing, right? And you're able to leverage the team. And so it took me a long time to, to do that. It also takes a little bit of maturity because you have to, you have to learn that you have to pay people well to get them to do that because, you know, we're, we're all so, we're all so serious about our profit margins that we just want to pay everyone as little as possible. And I had to learn that it's okay to pay a little more and to give up a little more, a bigger piece of the pie for the overall encompassing benefits. So hopefully that answered your question. Very much so. Yeah. Cool. And and so I want to wrap up. I, I have two, two big questions that I think might be burning questions in everybody's mind that's listening to this. So first about your company, your training and coaching company that you have now, uh, I know that uh, you've been wildly successful with that and it's growing exponentially every year. Um, and for those of you who are not uh, watching us on video, uh, I, I'm counting at least five two comma club awards, two comma six, <laughs> he was hiding one, two comma like the two comma X club. I can't remember what that was called, but you know, this is a guy that's been very successful in his business. Do you have, what, what would you say if somebody were to ask you, uh, you know, what three things do I need to focus on to build an eight-figure company? Like, what are the three essential things to take me from wherever I am to a successful eight-figure company? That's a great question. So typically to get to eight figures, what I've seen is you need to have one good product. You don't need more than one. You just need one good product. You typically will need a couple traffic sources. So that could be Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, for example. And then you need a team. And the biggest bottleneck is actually not zero to 100. It's 100 to a million. And the reason is because most entrepreneurs are not good at leading. They're not good at hiring. And they definitely are not good at training. And so if you can learn how to lead and build a team and find top talent, 
hitting those goals becomes exponentially easier because instead of you having to do everything yourself, you're able to rely on other people. And expect, especially, excuse me, if they're proactive, meaning they come up with ideas without you having to spoon feed them. And I will tell you, that is the biggest bottleneck by far and away uh, at the entrepreneurs at the seven figure level who are trying to get to eight, 100%. Yeah, I, I took a lot from that. So you said not zero, it's the biggest bottleneck is not zero to a hundred. So like from nothing to let's say a hundred thousand, but oh, it's a hundred thousand yeah. to a million because that requires you to not be a hundred percent involved in every facet of it. Yeah, your- like at a hundred thousand a month, you can pretty much run everything with two or three employees, probably max at, yeah. at a million a month. It's impossible. And so you have to rely on other people. But the problem is, is if you're a bad leader or you can't train or you can't hire or you don't have operations and SOPs in place, it just, it creates a very hectic environment. And I've looked behind the curtains of some companies that are, you know, oh, I'm doing 500 a month. I'm doing 400 a month. It's an absolute nightmare. I mean, it's it's a shit show. And, uh, you know, I would never go out and blast anyone, but it, it like the problem is their leadership skills and their and their personality and like don't get me wrong i'm not perfect and i've there's definitely things i can improve on constantly but i think like it took me a few years but i have a really good team and i have really hard working people and they have really good traits and it's just like having to learn how to create that culture and attract top talent when we put out job posts we get top talent people want to work here and um that's that takes time, I think, to build and it takes skill of learning how to deal with people. So yeah, nice. And then the thank you for that. That was that was very great. So and then the last question about your your current passion about making an impact and, and taking that kind of advisory role. Do you have any tips for somebody who maybe has run some successful businesses and and is looking to step away from being that day-to-day person and taking on more of that advisory role. Do you have any kind of uh, tips or best practices for how to start navigating their business and their career path in that direction? Yeah. So I'd say the biggest things is one, make sure that, I mean, the CEO you choose is everything. The person you decide to become a portfolio is everything because if they, if you do not set the proper expectations, they will expect you to grow the business. And that is not your job. Your job is to tell them what to do and they are to execute. So it, I went through a couple partnerships that I ended three months in because it ended up being that I became the CEO, which was not what it should be, right? It should be, you come with the skill set, you come with the knowledge and they execute. So the first thing is like, make sure the CEO you choose has the characteristics and traits you look for, you know, hard work, they want to grow. They're not, they're not just, you know, motivated by hitting a certain number of revenue. They, they truly want to grow a great business and they have other things that drive them besides the money, because if they hit that certain revenue number and that's all they care about, second they get there, they're going to stop pushing. Um, Number two is, you know, make, making sure you usually take a minority stake. You take too much equity at some point, they're going to become disgruntled right? Especially if you're not doing a lot. So I usually would recommend is take no more than 30%. Um, it can vary. I do have some portfolios where I have more than that, but it's a it's more of a special situation for various reasons. So that would be my second thing. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, make sure you build up your network and brand enough that people want to associate. And so, you know, years ago, I thought people like, especially on Clubhouse, remember when Clubhouse came out, 
And like people get on there like branding or uh, advertising. And I would just get so annoyed when people would say branding because I'm like, what does that even mean? Like you don't even make any money. You have no, like you're not even able to keep your lights on. But the, the interesting thing is advertising or direct marketing will get you money quickly, fast, right? Branding will get you the big money. And so as as like I've matured and I've been in internet marketing now five years in like September, I think I see that now, like if I can start really putting a lot of time and effort into creating my brand over the next five, 10 years, those opportunities start showing up more because that's what people associate with your name. They associate like, what does this guy bring to the table? What has he done? Um, And so you know, if you've done a lot of great things, but no one knows you exist, it, it can still be difficult. So one of the things that's helped me amass these portfolios is like partially of what I've done because I, and I've also built this kind of like farming system of these coaches and service providers who then I'm like, Hey, which of you guys wants me to take equity? And there's people raising their hand each and every day. And so um, I just would tell people be more cognizant of that because to get to higher levels, like Grant Cardone, and I'll wrap up on this. Saw him in Miami. Everyone wants to partner with Grant. Why? His branding, his reach, his promotion, his his engagement, his eyeballs. And so if you can become that person, it's infinitely easier to become extremely wealthy from what I've seen and what I'm experiencing than if you're someone who no one knows exists. And so fame is like one of the easiest ways to arbitrage wealth. And you like, look at the Paul brothers. They're doing like 50, 60 million a year just because of the amount of eyeballs they get. So hopefully that makes sense. Those are kind of the three tips that I'd kind of leave everyone with. Awesome. I love that. And so we we hit kind of the three tips for growing an eight-figure company and then the three tips for elevating yourself into that advisory equity stake role. Uh, and and that was transformational for me. Thank you so much. I, I, I'm, I am curious as, but right before we wrap up here, I, I want to hear... Who are you looking to engage with right now and how can they connect with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, like anyone, any business owners, I mean, business owners who want help, business owners who want to give up equity. I mean, business owners who just want to connect and, you know, grow. Like I, I was extremely stimulated. Uh, I went to Grant Cardone's event. It was a free event. It was invite only. And it was a it was extremely stimulating for me just because there were guys that are doing 11 million a month. I mean, it was insane. And so, um, that's legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crazy. It was, it's like, it's like being, being a big fish in an even bigger pond is fun. And it's like, and it's inspiring for me. Uh, but yeah, the best way to reach me is like my social media is like YouTube would be the best or Instagram. Uh, but you know, if you guys are trying to connect YouTube or, or Instagram at Tanner Chister would be, you know, two best ways. Awesome. And uh, just out of curiosity, tell us really quick about you have a you have a book on Amazon called Infinite Income. What's, yeah. what's that about? Yeah. So it's just kind of A to Z my journey. And, and you know, in hindsight, I wish I had spent more time on it uh, now. But, you know, for I, I feel pretty proud of it, just like in terms of it's my journey. Like it, ta- it talks a little bit about my personal story, but then it also talks exactly what I did to get to where I'm at. And it has tactical and strategic things in there, you know, as, as well as you could possibly do in a book. In hindsight, I wish I had put some links in there with like, you know, to a video and I'm like, so stupid now, 
but in terms of the book, like it goes through and I go through how I did my sales pitch, how I messaged, you know, how I found leads, like it goes through that. And so, you know, it's like, I don't know, like seven bucks, 20 bucks, a dollar, depending on what platform you buy it on. And that was kind of my goal is just try to help people with it, especially those who don't have a lot of funds and they're, they're trying to get their businesses off the ground. Awesome. So infinite income, you can find that on Amazon and various other places then. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Tanner, this is, this has been really awesome. I so much appreciate your time, sir. Sure. Uh, Tanner Chittister, everybody uh, appreciate you coming on here and sharing some wisdom about how you get stuff done uh, to learn more and to connect with Tanner. Uh, he has a ton of content out there. You can go to tannerchittister.com or you can find him on uh, YouTube or other social media outlets. Uh, once again, if you want to keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And don't forget to get your own personal DoZone DNA by visiting DoZoneDNA.com. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? I have a job for you. Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at the do zone. Also keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into the do zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go do something already. See you next time.